This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. excited guys for another episode of fantasy intervention today is going to be another dfs episode so get excited to make some money guys dude we've been pretty much right on the money with a lot of our picks i know last week i actually recommended to go with two players that bombed one being john ross the other one being tyler boyd but i'm getting back up on the horse and going back at it because if you played one of my other matchups like i recommended you guys do and don't rely on just one train of thought then you ended up making it out with positive money. So I talked about countering and making counter lineups to the lineup that I talked about just in case the Steelers defense was solid and the Steelers ended up going up big just having to grind out the clock. So I recommended that in one of your lineups you play Jalen Samuels as the bonus player. He ended up being the second leading scorer on last Monday's matchup right behind James Conner. So if you play Jalen Samuels in that bonus slot, along with James Conner, which I told you to do, just so you can keep up with everybody else's fantasy lineups, and then hopes you hit on Mason Rudolph, along with his connection to Deontay Johnson, and then you pair them up with whatever player you felt like pairing, then you ended up making some money last week, just like I did. You can't just go on one thing that I say, because you have to understand I'm giving you guys facts, I'm giving you guys statistics, and then I'm giving you my opinion on how to put a, together a base team. And then you have to make the final decision on which route you want to go. Me personally, I want to go as many different routes as possible. I like to think of game script after I give the statistics. So the way that I actually do this myself is I actually end up recording this with all the statistics. I go through and I edit this section just to make sure I can get out all the ums and the buts and the ifs. And then of course, all the jet noise that I can. Obviously you'll still hear some of it in the background and then Bentley. But yeah, I do all this editing first just to make sure that I fine tune it for y'all's ears. And then I go back and I personally listen to all the statistics I just gave out just to clear my head and just to have a, a wider view on things because I'm looking at such narrow individual statistics as I'm recording this stuff and as I'm talking about it. So I want a vast overview of it. Then once I end up doing that and I listen to it, I go on and I build my lineups and I talk about the different lineups that I build with you guys. And I give you my opinion, not the facts, my opinion on which different ways the games can go. So with that being said, guys, I'm going to go through and I'm going to give you guys the statistics for you guys to make your own decisions on this upcoming game tonight for the Thursday matchup of the Seattle Seahawks at home up against the Rams on a short week. So here we go. We're going to go ahead and start out with the Seahawks side of things, and we're going to start out with the quarterback. The craziest part about this game was prior to this past Sunday, the Rams are going to come in being negative one. But after seeing all the holes in their defense, 
the Vegas odds ended up adjusting it and making it Rams plus two. So now the Seattle Seahawks are favored. And it makes sense. It really does. Because the Seahawks are at home with a very, very, very loud venue. And you know that McVay loves to communicate with Jared Goff, get into his ear, and give him the lineups. And Jared Goff can't really hear. He can't hear in that stadium. To get into that in a second because I do want to start out with Seattle, but I just want you to keep in mind that they are at home, which creates a significant advantage, obviously, for the Seahawks. First off, I want to note this. It's saying that Russell Wilson has never thrown more than 200 yards up against the Rams, which is crazy to me, since McVay came into town. He's thrown for 198, I believe, twice, but he's never thrown for 200. The Rams have allowed 30 points to the QBs all year, up until Jameis Winston threw 31 last week. 31 points last week. The biggest thing about this is the depth of target when they played up against the Carolina Panthers was Cam Newton with seven yards on depth of target. Teddy Bridgewater was 7.7. Baker Mayfield was 8.7. And then Jameis Winston, finally going over the nine mark, was 9.4. This is huge because Russell Wilson, throughout the course of this season, his average depth of target has actually been 9.6 yards. That's his average depth of target so far this season. So obviously... Tampa Bay might have found a little hitch in the Rams' defense. Russell Wilson, for me, is a tremendous, tremendous upside play. I think that Pete Carroll has finally cracked the code for Russell Wilson, who is a phenomenal quarterback, but allowing him to do his own thing and throw down the field has been tremendous for the Seahawks so far this season. There's a great chance I'm going to be starting Russell Wilson in every single lineup this week. So we're going to hop over the wide receivers. And Marcus Peters along with the keep to leave, who are both the outside cornerbacks, have only allowed 15 catches to wide receivers. That's the least among starting cornerbacks for the two. Obviously not including the slot, just the outside starting cornerbacks. However, they've allowed 56 targets to the slot. 56. And Tyler Lockett runs 73% of the snaps out of the slot. And he also commands a 22% target share. So he's running 73% of the snaps out of the slot, where for four games, the Rams have been allowing 56 targets, and he's getting 22% target share when he's on the field. That's insane. Tyler Lockett, for me, is also a must-start. So here's the thing with Tyler Lockett. He has doubled in targets this year compared to last year, but his yards per reception are down 4.3 points. He went from 16.9 down to 12.6 so far this year. But it's kind of weird. It's extremely inconsistent. On weeks one and four, he had six targets. Weeks two and three, he had 26 targets. So I really got interested in this. I wanted to dive right in and try and figure out why that is. It pretty much breaks down to the availability of first downs and Chris Carson's hog rate. Week one, Seattle couldn't get first downs. They were four for 12 on third down, but the Bengals actually doubled them in first downs, having 22 first downs compared to Seattle's 12 first downs. Cincinnati had 65 plays, to Seattle's 45 plays. 35 minutes of possession to 24 minutes of possession. That's brutal for Tyler Lockett because Tyler Lockett is efficient, but if he's not getting the volume needed, it's not gonna happen. Chris Carson ended up getting 22 of those 45 plays direct in his direction, having six of seven targets and 15 carries. So for the whole entire rest of the team, there was only 23 snaps to go around. So week two was completely opposite. They ended up having 25 first downs with 68 plays run and over 35 minutes in time of possession. 
Complete opposite of what happened in week one, and that was up against the Steelers. Week three, 26 first downs, 32 minutes in time of possession, and a whopping 76 plays for the Seattle Seahawks up against the Saints. Tyler Lockett got the targets. In week four, once again, this was in the down weeks, so just to recap, in weeks one and four, he got a total of six targets. In week two and three, he got a total of 26 targets. So week four, they only had 21 first downs, which is down from the other two. They only ran 51 plays. The only thing that strayed towards the norm of a positive game script for Tyler Lockett was the 33 minutes and 21 seconds they had time possession-wise. But here's the thing. They didn't need to win. They were up against the Arizona Cardinals. They just wanted to grind at the clock. They ended up crushing the Cardinals that game. They did not need to pass. The Rams are 18th overall so far this year in first downs allowed. They're 25th in passing first downs allowed. So look for Russell Wilson to target Tyler Lockett in those situations. But the biggest factor for me, the number one biggest factor, is that the Rams are tied for first in penalties on defense, having 37 penalties in 292 yards. So that means that the Seattle Seahawks are going to keep on getting first downs, which is crucial to their success. They're going to own the time of possession because they're going to keep on getting first downs, crucial to their success. And they're going to get way more snaps than what they ended up getting up against the Cardinals and the Bengals. So the opportunity for Tyler Lockett and his targets is going to be significant. There are some teams where their alpha wide receiver, even if it's negative game script, even if the, the game isn't going the way that the receiver wants it to go in order for him to accrue fantasy points, that team still produces fantasy points for that wide receiver. You look at somebody like Julio Jones. But for Tyler Lockett to succeed, he has to have the game strip go this way. Which is why I wouldn't be surprised to see Tyler Lockett get 15 targets in this game. He's going up against Roby Coleman. He's not going to be matched up against Marcus Peters. And he's not going to be matched up against Aqib Tlaib. I think that the game script significantly favors Tyler Lockett this week. And I'm going to be starting Tyler Lockett in almost every single one of my lineups along with the stack of Russell Wilson. But with that being said, you know who's not going to be going off. That's going to be David Moore and DK Metcalf. Outside of DK Metcalf getting a long bomb touchdown, which could happen, don't get me wrong, he might end up running a nine route like he's been doing all season long, and ends up getting a long bomb from Russell Wilson that he takes to the house. Hey, I'll take it as an upside play depending on his salary. And I'll probably end up playing him in a couple matchups. But those are going to be my riskier matchups. Where if the Rams go up, which I could see happening in some cases, the Rams go up and Seattle just has to start bombing the ball to try and catch up. So yes, I could consider a DK Metcalf stack, but I'm not going to rely on that stack in my safer lineups. Especially with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib, with the Marcus Joyner and John Johnson patrolling the middle of that field. I just think Russell Wilson is too smart to be playing that long bomb game. I don't see it happening for DK Metcalf, but hey, like I said, you can take his chance. When it comes to Chris Carson, it's kind of like the opposite. If Tyler Lockett has a great game, Chris Carson doesn't, and vice versa. So Chris Carson, in week one, ended up going six for seven on receptions, along with having 15 attempts for 46 yards rushing. In week two, it was 15 carries for 60 yards, with three receptions on three targets for 27 yards receiving. Week three, 15 carries for 52 yards, and one target and one reception for negative two yards. So those were the two weeks that Tyler Lockett went off. Chris Carson did not look good. But in week four, 
when Tyler Lockett was not needed and they wanted to grind the clock. 22 carries for 144 yards, and then four receptions on four targets for 41 yards. The game script I'm believing is going to happen for Chris Carson is they're going to try and grind out early, but it's going to turn into too much of a shootout throughout the game. If he doesn't get the receptions necessary, then nothing's going to happen for Chris Carson. He'll have an all right game, but it's not going to be a league winning DFS game. Now, if the Seattle Seahawks go up and they want to try and wear down that clock, and you think that the Seattle Seahawks are going to run away with this game versus what happened with the Rams last week, and they don't want to get into a shootout like Tampa Bay wanted to get into, then they're going to try and grind Chris Carson out. So that could be a stack that I could see happening where you play Russell Wilson with Tyler Lockett, and then you put Chris Carson in the bonus, and then you end up having some form of combination of wide receivers or Jared Goff in there to play the catch-up role. Once again, I haven't looked at the lineups yet, but that's the kind of situation that you would need to happen in order for Chris Carson to have an excellent game in my opinion. So far, the Rams have been spotty at best up against the running back position. They did hold Alvin Kamara to only 45 yards and I believe only one reception for 15 yards or something along those lines in the game where Drew Brees got hurt and Teddy Bridgewater had to come in. But once again, that was a replacement level quarterback coming in, trying to take over for Drew Brees without being familiar with Alvin Kamara. But up against the Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey went off. Up against the Browns, Nick Chubb had a very, very solid game. Tampa Bay doesn't really have running backs, but Ronald Jones still did all right. So I'm not saying Chris Carson is a do not play. I think that he's very viable. But the game script has to be right, especially with Rashad Penny looking to come back. Now, Will Disley's my next topic. And Will Disley has been a monster. I've loved Will Disley. He's been one of my favorite tight ends so far this year. But this matchup is not looking too hot for him. The Rams faced off against Greg Olson in week one and held him to four receptions on nine targets for 36 yards. Up against Jared Cook, two receptions on seven targets for 25 yards. Up against the Browns, they didn't allow anything. Like it was like three receptions total. Up against the Buccaneers and O.J. Howard. On a game where they scored 55 points, they gave up three receptions to O.J. Howard for 33 yards. Nothing. This scares me a little bit when it comes to Will Disley. Will Disley is an integral part of this team. And with the outside cornerbacks taking everything away, you would think that Will Disley could be an option. But those safeties, man, those safeties are good. They're good in coverage. They're good in run support. Will Disley scares me a little bit this week. I think that you have to play him in a couple lineups just in case. But he's not going to be a primary option for me this week. I'm not going to be looking to get him in, in as many lineups as possible. I'm going to give Will Disley a B- on this matchup. We're going to hop over to the other side of the ball. And we're going to talk about the Rams. And we're going to start it all off with Jared Goff. And like I said earlier, the situation for Jared Goff is not good. He doesn't really do well up against the... He doesn't really do well up against the Seattle Seahawks when the Seattle's at home. And although he did have over 300 yards passing and a touchdown, he had two interceptions and two fumbles. He did not lose the two fumbles. So they just wouldn't go against him in fantasy-wise. But he did have two interceptions and two fumbles. The year before that at Seattle, he only threw for 120 yards. He ended up having an interception and a fumble in that game as well. Sean McVay likes to get into Jared Goff's ear prior to the play starting. I believe the headset ends up cutting off around 15 seconds. So McVay tries to tell, tell Goff what he sees out on the field and give Goff a little bit of a different perspective. It's going to be too loud in Seattle. He struggles because his overseer cannot deliver the information into Jared Goff. So this could be a positive note. Seahawks rank 18th up against quarterbacks until you look at it. 
So far, the Seahawks have faced off with Andy Dalton, then Mason Rudolph halfway through the game. Teddy Bridgewater and Kyler Murray. The Seahawks haven't faced anybody. I think this game they're going to tear Jared Goff's ass up. I don't think Jared Goff has a chance to put up any kind of significant stats unless it's all garbage time. Hey, which still count towards fantasy. So if you believe there's a garbage time stack to be had, you could end up stacking up Jared Goff with some garbage time players. But I do like his wide receivers. I do like his wide receivers. We already saw the Rams and the Seahawks so far this year. Or at least we think we did. The Baby Rams, a.k.a. the Bengals, faced up in week one. And Andy Dalton, who's a smarter quarterback than Jared Goff is, was 35 for 51 for 418 yards and two touchdowns. That's very, very solid. But here's the thing. They're using the Rams' offense. Zach Taylor came straight from Sean McVay's system and implemented Sean McVay's system in the Rams, in the Bengals. Baby Brandon Cooks, a.k.a. John Ross, put up 158 yards and two touchdowns on 7 for 12 receiving. Baby Cup, a.k.a. Tyler Boyd, put up 60 yards receiving on, on 8 catches for 12 targets. But you know who didn't do well? Damian Willis, who played that Robert Woods position. And the thing is, it's everybody that plays that Robert Woods position so far this year did not look good. He was 3 for 5 for 30 yards. Brandon Cooks, who plays that left side slash slot position, has been a disappointment so far. But guess what? That's good. That's so good. Because everybody's focused on Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. And that's good. That's good because that means that he's going to be the receiver least owned for the Rams. Which is super, super excited because he's going to go off this week. He has the biggest upside out of any one of these three receivers this week. The biggest upside by far. The thing is, you have to take into account. The Seahawks also struggled up against Juju Smith-Schuster, who is playing a very similar role to Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup. Michael Thomas was extremely successful while playing in the Brandon Cooks role. He went 5 for 7 for 54 yards. When he played on the other side, where Robert Woods lined up, he was not successful. He got shut down over there. I know the offense wasn't operated full with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, but that's still not a promising outlook for Robert Woods. The Seahawks defense was all over Kyler Murray that game, so Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk only got five receptions, but they're both slot guys. Kyler Murray didn't have time to get it to the outside receivers. I think that Brandon Cooks has an excellent, excellent game this week. But you know who else is going to have an excellent game? is going to be Cooper Cup. Because although Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald didn't put up tremendous stats, the Seahawks still allowed them to have 10 receptions. And you know what Cooper Cup is going to do with 10 receptions? He's going to destroy the Seattle Seahawks. You want to know why I know that? Because he's second in yards after the catch, only to Sammy Watkins. Which in my opinion is better than Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins just had one insane game. Yards after the catch is going to be key to this because Cooper Cup is going to get minimum, minimum six or seven receptions. So look for Brandon Cook in the upside and look for Cooper Cup and the receptions with the yards after contact having guaranteed points. We're going to hop on down to running backs. In the first two weeks, the Seattle Seahawks didn't really have to deal with passes to the running back. Mixon was not involved whatsoever in their offense, and James Conner wasn't really catching passes. The offense was still trying to find themselves, find their identity, and the running backs weren't really involved. But then week three, Teddy Bridgewater met Alvin Kamara for the first time because they obviously did not know each other in week two. They met for the first time, and it was love at first sight. With Alvin Kamara having 16 rushes for 69 yards and a touchdown, and then having nine receptions on 10 targets 
for 92 yards and a touchdown, having a monster, monster game. Then you look at week four. David Johnson ended up having 11 carries for 40 yards, but then also having eight receptions on 11 targets for 99 yards. 99 yards. They're allowing passes to the running back, and the running backs are destroying them. And you guys are probably like, how do you think Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and Todd Gurley are going to have a good game if Todd Gurley relies on receptions? But you don't have Jared Goff. And here's the answer. I heard a rumor that McVay loved the way that the Wildcat offense looked in Pittsburgh. So Malcolm Brown is going to come in and play the quarterback and pass Todd Gurley at least 10 times in that Wildcat formation. Did I get you? Did I get you? I think I got you. I got you. No, no, I'm totally bullshitting. I'm completely lying. That does not exist. I'm totally kidding. What I'm saying here is you have to pick your poison. So yes, three players that are going to rely on receiving would have to go off, and that's when you would have to play Jared Goff, but I think you have to pick your poison. You have to do different lineups where you're going to be playing Todd Gurley along with Cooper Cup, and that's going to be the safe, reliant option where they're trying to manage the game, and they're going short to Cooper Cup. They're doing tosses to Gurley, having him come out the flat, and they're letting Jared Goff just be a game manager, not a chance taker. Then you have the other option where they're using Gurley way more than they've used him all season. They're passing to him, they're running up the middle, and then they hit that play-action fake and go long bomb to Brandon Cooks. And this is going to be more of a grinding game. This is the type of game that you might want to put Chris Carson in. And then you have the game where the Rams are down, and they're going to have to pass. They're going to have to pass. This is the garbage time game where if it's possible, you play Brandon Cooks, you play Cooper Cup, you play Todd Gurley, and you play Jared Goff. Those are the three different scenarios. You play Chris Carson, the other one. I don't think that's going to end up being affordable. We'll look into it. But that's the kind of lineup that you're looking at. That's the kind of game script you're looking at for all these players to go off. On to the tight end position for the Rams. Honestly, the Seahawks have been pretty, pretty stingy up against the Rams. They lit up a few yards to Uzuma the, the first week of the season, but I'm not gonna be playing either one of these tight ends. If you need to save some money, and maybe Higby is available as that second tight end position, you could play that. But I don't really see that being an option this week. But once again, I'm gonna go through, I'm gonna edit this, I'm gonna listen to what I had to say, I'm gonna evaluate where I stand, and I'm gonna build up a lineup. So, we're gonna go ahead and jump into this next part and build up a lineup. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. These Jets are making it impossible to record and get this podcast out to you guys in time. But I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. So I'm here to help you guys build your lineup for tonight. And we're looking at Russell Wilson being the most expensive player, obviously, at 15000 Jared Goff following up with 14-5. Robert Woods is next with 13-5. Cooper Cup, 13. Brandon Cook's 12. You have Chris Carson at 12. Todd Gurley at 11-5. Tyler Lockett at 11. That's the biggest bargain right there by far. Will Disley at 10, Greg Zerline at 9.5, Myers at 8.5. That could end up being somewhat of a bargain. He hasn't produced well, but you never know. This could end up being some sort of defensive struggle, which could end up putting up points. Gerald Everett at 8. I think that's overpriced, although he is the best tight end on the Rams. DK Metcalf at 8. Once again, that's your shot in the dark. That's the guy that you can take a chance on, and that's not a bad price for a guy you're taking a shot on. Malcolm Brown at 7-5. I don't think he has an impact. Uh, Rashad Penny, who could be your shot in the dark, 7-5. And then CJ Procise, who only had three touches last week but did get a touchdown, is at 7. 
I'm not taking a chance on him. Jerron Brown is an interesting play here. They tried to get him involved in the week that they were playing New Orleans, the week that they lost, and he actually had six targets that game. So Jerron Brown could be an interesting flyer along with Higby, who, like I said earlier, they gave up a decent amount of yards to Uzuma. If Higby ends up getting a touch, I wouldn't be surprised. The last player I'm going to mention is David Moore, who he has a field stretching ability just like Jerron Brown does, but he's actually fallen behind Jerron Brown in snaps. Jerron Brown has 35 while David Moore only has 25, he's been hurt, so he's been coming back from an injury, but that could also be an interesting flyer if you're trying to stack your lineups to the ceiling and you just need a, a cheap play. So I'm going to go ahead and start this one out, and I'm going to go for my big bonus play with Tyler Lockett here. I think Tyler Lockett has the highest floor and the largest upside as well this week. Obviously, we talked about why. Uh, my next position that I'm looking at, I need to stack him with Russell Wilson. This is a lineup where I think that the game remains close, but the, but the Seattle Seahawks stay ahead for the majority of the game. So I'm going with my next biggest value here, which is going to be Brandon Cooks. I think he produces the most amount of fantasy points this week, upside-wise, but not quite as high of a floor as Cooper Cup or Todd Gurley does. So I'm going to need Brandon Cooks to definitely hit this week. That's going to leave me with 11000 per person. Like I said, Cooper Cup is an interesting play here. I really like him. But he's 13. So if I go with Cooper Cup, I'm also going to have to take a hit and go with somebody that's less than 9. That's going to leave me with Myers, which could be interesting. I don't believe in Gerald Everett. DK Metcalf could be a flyer, but I'm not loving him. So if I do play that lineup and I do go Cooper Cup in this place, then I would probably end up considering that as my high-end upside lineup, in which case I might end up switching Brandon Cooks with Tyler Lockett. But instead, I'm going to go a little bit safe here. And I'm going to go Todd Gurley, relying on the fact that he gets the passing down work necessary. And then I'm going to stick Will Disley, who I gave a B- to in my rankings this week, to get some of the safe plays from Russell Wilson. So I'm getting the stack of Tyler Lockett with the tremendous upside, with Russell Wilson, and the floor of Will Disley. Then I'm getting the upside, hoping that they pass, with Brandon Cooks, and hoping that they dump it off a ton this week to Todd Gurley. This lineup is relying on the matchup being relatively close but the Seattle Seahawks still maintaining the lead for the majority of the game, and Jared Goff not having to pass his ass off and get garbage time points, along with Tyler Lockett having a tremendous, tremendous game. So this next one, we're just going to say the Seattle Seahawks are just going to crush the Rams, and they're going to start running away with it. So I'm going to go ahead and say that Chris Carson is going to have an excellent game. They're going to grind away the clock, but I'm also going to go with my safe play here and my value play that I'm going to try and fit in most of my lineups with Tyler Lockett. But since the Seahawks are going to be up, and I think the Russell Wilson has, still has a very, very solid, solid game, I'm going to go ahead and play Jared Goff here. Listen, Jared Goff could easily throw three interceptions this game. But as long as he throws for multiple touchdowns, like three touchdowns and 300 yards, it'll all be worth it. That would be a very high end of producing quarterback. So I'm going Jared Goff. He's down. He's going to be passing Brandon Cooks, don't worry, but they're going to be playing prevent defense. So Brandon Cooks might not have that long bomb touchdown. Instead, I'm going to let him rack up targets to Cooper Cup as Cooper Cup breaks tackles and gets yards after the catch with his vicious running style. Then I'm going to go ahead and pair him up with Greg Zerline and hope that golden leg of Greg Zerline's ends up coming through for me. I'm going to do one more lineup for you guys, and this is going to be the lineup that says Todd Gurley has an excellent game, turns everything around, gets running yardage, gets receiving yardage, 
and the Los Angeles Rams are up tremendously, tremendously in this game. So we're going to go ahead and put in Todd Gurley in the bonus slot. And then, of course, if they're up, we're going to have to have Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett connecting on every single opportunity that, that they have. It still amazes me how cheap Tyler Lockett is. Like, that's just strange. I think Tyler Lockett needs to be played in every single lineup. But if the Rams are up, that means that Chris Carson is probably not getting the work in. So you can go ahead and knock Chris Carson off your list. Will Disley might end up having a really, really solid game if the Rams are up and they have garbage time. But in order for the Rams to really get up, they're still going to have to have plays from their playmakers. Should I go Cooper Cup or Brandon Cooks? So I'm going to go ahead and throw Cooper Cup in there for now. And we're just going to see who I'm left with. That's going to leave me with 9,500 left, which could leave me with the kicker Zerline. Which, if the Rams are winning significantly, he could end up having four or five extra points and maybe a field goal. But that's not enough to end up winning the game for you. If I go this route, I could end up pivoting over to DK Metcalf and hope that he has a good game. Now, this is like my all-out Hail Mary play where this lineup right here could end up winning you the entire bank. Having Todd Gurley, who not that many people are going to be playing in the 1.5 because the matchup doesn't look strong. Then Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett for hooking up. Cooper Cup for the safety valve. And who's playing that role that, Ju that they struggled with against Juju Smith-Schuster. Along with DK Metcalf, who, if, like I said, the Rams are up, could end up having a tremendous long bomb. Something on a nine route where he just flies down the sideline. I want to take a shot on this one. That's going to be my last lineup. I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what exactly is going to happen. But at least you guys now have the stats and knowledge to be able to make educated decisions in order to figure out which way you want to go in this matchup. So I appreciate you guys for listening today. Make sure you tune into our episode tomorrow. It's going to be all about standard leagues. I'm going to have Devin on with me. We're going to have a lot of fun. But good luck in the games tonight, guys. And I appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you all for letting me intervene with your fantasy football lives. Hey, my mom dope, my niggas is dope, switch up a stove, pick up a stove, they feeling away, they know I'm the goat.